Welcome to Penny Talks, brought to you thanks to Seed Golf, who deliver you affordable tour performance, same performance, half the price. Check them out at www.seedgolf.com and try them today. Thank you for pressing play. On today's show, we have a very special guest all the way from the United States of America. But first, as Gabe Byrne would say, roll it there, Roisin. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Joe Bradley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Well, Joe Bradley, what did he get at? Welcome to Paddy Talks. In today's show, we have a multi-time best-selling author, an award-winning host, and has been called the best interviewer in golf by the legends of the game themselves. He has interviewed literally every living legend of the game we all love, from Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, and Tom Watson, to Tiger Woods and our own Rory McIlroy. A member of many associations in golf, namely around golf travel, including the European and American Travel Writers Associations, and the International Sports Press Association, and another association, uh, Golf Writers of America. I myself have only recently started listening to his podcast, Fairways of Life, you should do too, as I quickly realized I've been missing out big time. But I knew of him before that, from his numerous visits to the Hinch, and his escapades on the Golf Channel. Welcome to the show all the way from the United States of America, Matt Adams. Thank you for joining me. Pleasure, Patty. Thank you. How was your trip over? Fun? It was good, yeah, it was fine. Uh, I came over... The, the, the weeks blend together because it wasn't that long ago that I was here. We had a big group in, 35, 40 people playing La Hinch and throughout the Southwest, and they were building out for the Irish Open, which was really fun to see, you know, at coming together. And headed back and did a few tour events, a uh, bunch of stuff I had to do in studio because Golf Channel's based out of Orlando, so that's where we live now. And then hopped on a flight, took the JFK and the Shannon that many of your listeners will know from that flight coming in and got in yesterday and it's great to be back so in terms of and uh, the irish open and golf channel how did that happen because for me anyway and i'd be wrong i have loads of opinions i'm often them wrong my wife tells me i'm wrong all the time <laughs> but uh golf channel at a european tour event that doesn't happen very often does it uh actually we carry the european tour every week but the way that european tour broadcasts are structured globally is that the distribution of the event is through European tour productions and that gets sent around the globe to 170 different countries and what we do at Golf Channel is that we take the the global feed in and we'll have a presenter in Golf Channel that will welcome people back and it's kind of the intent is to brand the program as as though it's one that we've put together the reality is is that it's got Doogie Donnelly or Sam Torrance and and uh, you know the whole whoever it is the whole crew the only reason why it's changed in recent months is that we also now own sky so there there is as much as we can a, a combining of of efforts and talents and production so i think you'll see if you were in north america for example you'd you'd see a different view of the open because of our combining of assets and and why not so it's that's kind of a long-winded answer to your question, but it's also evolving and changing as we speak. Oh, of course. I suppose the European tour is known from everybody on this side of the Atlantic as 
really fun tour in terms of the embracing social media and they do skits and do you see that and i suppose the pga tour is more seen as very very professional and in terms of how that's foreseen in the media and across social media do you see them learning more from the european tour in terms of how the tour is presented to make it more entertaining i definitely think there's a there's an aspect of envy from the way that the European tour puts together, like the the mannequin video that they did, what yeah. was that a year and a half that ago? Was, was the most brilliant social media golf piece that I've ever seen in my life. And they, Jamie Kennedy and his team are really good at continuing to put out that kind of content. I know that Keith Pelly is very resolute on on winning over the the digital space. Uh, and, and to his credit. The PGA Tour is trying. Uh, the PGA Tour belongs to the players, so there's there's a lot more caution. There's there's more rope lines in terms of how they do things, but I do think that everybody, including the players in the PGA Tour, are seeing what the European Tour is doing. I know the players in the European Tour are starting to ask the social media teams, "Hey, can you put us in these videos because they're so much fun?" And I think that's starting also to translate on the PGA Tour. But in fairness, and I'm not trying to insult anybody or take anything away from i think the european tour is leading that trend there's other aspects of golf they're trying to make it more fun like hero six and golf shootouts is that something you see that is good for the game is it going to make it more acceptable or oh i love it i think i think different formats are absolutely good for the game ultimately where i think people get so caught up is they get caught up with the concept of what is a competition and what is a proper competition 72 holes of of stroke play but to me golf at this level is also as equally as important about entertainment and if you can find different formats which also give people different playing opportunities that can entertain in ways that are different than a 72 hole pressure cooker I think it's I think it's brilliant. I, I love that they're doing it. I don't think it takes anything away from traditional golf as we know it. It just adds a different element to it that maybe will attract somebody else. So I'm going to segue into a couple of questions here because it's clear, and you mentioned a few times your love of golf. So there is a segment at the end of this show where I field listeners' answer to this question. Okay. But I'd like to ask it to you as in the initial question. Sure. In terms of, it's very broad, you can go as detailed as you want, but why do you, Matt Adams, love golf? Uh, the thing that appealed to me about golf, I've been doing it for so long that, it, that it's, it's, it's kind of what courses through the veins in fairness. But uh, to me, I spent my professional career what started on the equipment side of the game. And, and I, so I spent almost 15 years on the literally the hard goods side of the game with, with golf clubs. And I built for everybody, everybody, Wilson, McGregor, Slotline, Ram, Peerless, Palmer, Nicholas, uh, I mean, pretty much Lynx, pretty much every, except for the latter, pretty much every brand I mentioned to you, I I must have killed along the way, but I built for them. And I started, I started writing uh, around the, around the end of the 90s. Didn't know I was a good writer, I had no idea, just one of these kind of fateful things where I bumped into somebody and they said, hey, you have you ever thought about writing i had never thought about writing i didn't think i could slap together anything and a couple of the first books that i did did okay and it put us in a position where kind of said to the missus where do you want to go what do you want to do where do you want to live and so we decided to go home for us uh, where the family was from right off the boat from ireland back to uh, rhode island and i went back to the green grass side of the game where i used to work as a kid 
So most of my career has not been about the playing of the game for me. My job is to see other people happy, whether it was the equipment side or whether it was seeing them out onto the tee box. So the, the things that I love the game about the game the most are not necessarily what I think most people would say, like the perfectly struck seven iron. To me, it's more about the lifestyle that surrounds it, the, the beauty uh, that, that it encompasses, the, the, the friendships that you meet, uh, kind of everything that, in some ways, everything that's outside the ropes, although I respect the playing of the game, obviously, but it's, it's all those other things. And I think that's kind of natural when, when you've lived your life, making sure other people are happy in it. So I'm not sure if that answered your question, but that's- No, 100%, uh, one of the better answers. So people on social media need to do better. <laughs> in terms of, so you went into writing, and um, so where's the gap between when into writing and now you're on Golf Channel? Well, when I was, when I was a kid, I've always had this fascination with radio. Uh, and when I was a boy, I used to listen to uh, Terry Wogan on BBC Two. Did you ever listen to him? He's Irish, isn't he? He's from Dublin, yeah. And uh, I, so I used, to li- I used to listen to him a, a lot. And I loved the way that he owned the space that he was in. You know what I'm saying? So when I was, when I was just a, a, a kid in school, I used, I used to go down to the local radio station and I would ask them, hey, can I do this? Can I, can I do that? Because radio to me has, uh, like we're doing right now, there's, there's an intimacy to it. It's, it's, I've always felt that radio is like, it's like a conversation with versus television, I think, is, is speaking at. And I, and I mean that respectfully, but it's, it's different. And radio, you have time to draw things out. So I started doing dabbling in radio and then I as I mentioned went into the equipment side so when I graduated from school I was fortunate enough to somehow hoodwink someone into giving me a job at ESPN and when I went to ESPN I was I was working on football and I was working on uh, National Hockey League and I was also doing dabbling somewhat in golf and as I was doing all these these various and other sports I realized that I really didn't enjoy uh, forcing myself to know what, what uh, say, Major League Baseball, what, what someone's batting average was. I, on some level, I, I, I guess I came to the realization that I really didn't care. And I, I, th- I think you have to follow where your passion really lies. So I decided I wanted to go back into golf. But I already had this experience now, this training of, on my own account and also the formal training. And so... When I went back into into golf, I we I was working for this little production company, uh, video production company, and we would package and syndicate golf programming. One of the first we did was this tournament in Connecticut called the Greater New Milford Open, syndicated around the country and had fun with it. But it was a starting point, right? And while I was working for that company, uh, one of the clients that we had, the president of this little manufacturing company in Florida, had a heart attack. And the man couldn't work every day the way he had. And they said, are you interested in going down and learning manufacturing and kind of taking on that side of the business? And I was a kid. I had nothing else to do. I was like, sure, why not? So that was my first tour of duty in Orlando. So I took my, my Irish skin down into the, into the tropics and uh, did it for a long time. And while I was there, and some of the people that I used to work with at ESPN were hired by this new entity called the Golf Channel that was based out of Orlando. And so they called me and they said, hey, would you mind coming in 
when we when we you know give you give you the nod uh, every week or two weeks and just talk to us about what's going on in the industry kind of on an equipment business side or what have you because it's what I was living so sure and so every little piece it's it's like building a stone wall every stone builds towards the entirety of it right and so as I was going down that path and then went back into the green grass side the PGA Tour got into doing radio play-by-play of their weekly events. They still do. I mean, for your listeners, if they go on to pjtour.com or they get the PGA Tour app, they can listen to the radio coverage for free. It's available every week. And when they started that in the very earliest days, uh, they contacted me and they said, hey, you know, we know that you've got radio experience and you've got golf experience. Have you ever thought about doing this? And again, I hadn't thought about doing any of it. Uh, I had that experience, as I mentioned to you, from the earliest days at the that first tournament, the Great Inter Milford Open, I said, why not? So I, I actually, even though the, the 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 scale of it, if you will, changes because golf channels in 510 million homes and 80 different countries, and so the scale changes, but what you do is the exact same. Uh, so to me, I don't really feel like what I'm doing is any more prominent now than what I did then. But that's how it happened. That was how one one step kind of led to another, kind of led to another, kind of led to another. So, <laughs> Part of the show is like, for people listening, especially if they're between, we'll say, 14, 15 to 22, 23, and they're wondering what to do with their life. Yeah. And it's like, it was the same for me. It's like I qualified in 08, and the world economy went down, not up. Good timing. Uh, good timing. <laughs> so I, like, like you, uh, I wanted to get into equipment manufacturing. So at the time, I just didn't press the button. I was like, I should have gone to... Cars bad or somewhere like that, and I should have just gone for the summer J1 visa. So, part of the of this show, I want to ask the one question in terms of along your career. So, from listening to you there, it's kind of like it went from step to step, and based on a bank of experience, you were kind of known as a specialist or an expert in a certain area. So mm-hmm. people were like, "Yeah, he's the guy. Let's get him on." Yeah. But where was we'll say is the compelling event along that way when you went all in? We'll say whether it be golf channel or all in on your podcast uh i i've never gone all in in fairness uh, my my belief is is that especially for young people i think that society tends to scare young people i think that uh if when you're in school and and they're all well-meaning people don't get me wrong but when you're in school they'll, they'll say if if you don't do well in this particular area then these horrible consequences will result and many times it's even the people that are closest to you that are holding you back because they're scared. They don't want you to get hurt. They don't want you to fail. Of course. And my feeling is, is that wherever your passion lies, unless it's a specified field, if you're, it's bookkeeping or a doctor or a solicitor or something, that, that's a speci- specified field. But for the vast majority that are, that are going through school, my, my contention is if there's something that you want to do, some, some desire, something that you harbor in your heart, then do it. And what I mean by that is, like, if you look at, like, what you're doing right now, Patty, that because of the, the way that media is distributed today, you don't have to wait for anyone's permission to do what you're doing. You, you, didn't, you didn't go out and apply to some commission to become a host of a, of a golf podcast. You did it because your passion carried you to a point that compelled you to do it. And what I say to people, is, to young people in particular, is don't get caught up in the fear. 
don't don't buy into the current of insecurity that other people will want to instill to you and i i guess the bottom line is is that my message is bite off more than you can chew and then chew like crazy and having said that when you're doing it that doesn't mean that you don't keep the the job the second job or the third job to keep some money coming in so that you can pay for your life and you know continue to do what what you need to do in order to get by but what i what i recommend to people is 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 if you can those ancillary jobs that actually pay for your 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 food and your clothes and and housing if you can get those jobs in a field that support where your passion lies and so that's that's the primary thing and then the other thing that i say to to young people particularly if they're interested in doing what we're doing at the moment is uh, I look at a guitar, for example, or, or even this microphone that we're speaking into, and millions of people currently are using them. Probably billions of people have used them. What unique voice do you give it? If you take a common implement, what voice do you have that's so unique that someone is compelled to say, well, that's something that I'm interested in? So to that point, and you just alluded to it, my, my first advice is, become an expert at something let let's say that uh, your passion is football and and what happens if what happens if you're an expert on uh, I'm just talking crazy now but what happens if you become an expert of knee injuries right and I know that sound it sounds crazy to you what I'm saying or what happens if you become an expert on hip replacements knee replacements ligament damage whatever it is I, and it doesn't have to be those things but what I'm saying is that if you become the person that the people who need to generate content go to because you're the expert in that particular area you've built the foundation you have your platform and once you have your platform and your foundation then you can evolve from there because you asked me I never directly answered the question how I went from where I was to being on Golf Channel now. It's because I was an expert in a very specific area. Then once I had that platform, I said, you know, I think I can do that. And they go, geez, okay. You seem to know what you're doing and you're not afraid to talk or look into a camera, which takes me right back to Terry Wogan because I heard an interview with him. He had 8 million people in his audience. 8 million. And there was an interview with him and someone said, how do you broadcast to 8 million? And he said, I don't. I only broadcast to one. And that was the key. That was the thing that turned the corner for me. So like that, we're not asking permission for doing this. We're in the 19th on Main Street in Le Hinch. So that is the background noise. Paddy, Paddy Keane, thank you very much. Paddy Murphy, thank you very much and Paddy for Keen, having us here. Down at Le Hinch. Um, so we're going to some more not so deep questions now. So these hopefully will be a bit easier to answer. You've traveled all around the world playing golf. And seem to have a certain grow or, or love for Ireland. So where did that love for golf in Ireland come from? Uh, it's family. I mean, my, my, my family's from throughout the island. And my dad was the last in my family that I grew up with, a, you know, an Irish brogue bouncing off the walls. But ironically, having said all that, my, my family in Ireland does not have direct connections to the southwest. That's become my second home. Um, here... First and foremost, it was because of the stunning coastlines. Uh, I think that you can't go to the Cliffs of Moore. I've, I've always felt that if, if, if you, and I encourage people, come to Ireland and see it, because I think that a, a trip to Ireland, if it's not, especially think about the cliffs, right? If it's not flat out life altering, it's at least life affirming. I think that in, in two ways, um, 
those cliffs make us realize that nothing that we do or that we're going through is anywhere near as important as we think it is, right? And I think that that realization uh, comes with great liberty because it frees you up from being shackled by your fears, anxieties, flat-out problems, whatever it is, and you realize that when you, when you stare into the eyes of, of eternity, it's okay. It's all right. Yeah, I get that. So you've interviewed literally everyone in the game of golf, uh, of all players. Is there one particular one that stands out, like a particular story that they gave you or maybe an interview with one of those golfers that came about maybe unconventionally? Um, I think the one that moves me the most is Charlie Sifford who I'm not even sure if you would know who that is, but, but Charlie Sifford, uh, African-American man, uh, was good, good, good player. Grew up as a caddy. Uh, had this natural aptitude uh, towards the sport, and he was barred from playing at its highest level despite the fact that he had the talent to do such because of the color of his skin. There was a, a provision in the PGA that the PGA was for Caucasian only. It was an actual provision. And he, he had to take court action in order to allow him to play. And he told me of all of this. And he by the time he made it on the PGA Tour, he was actually, in fairness, past his prime, but he still won twice. His first win coming in Hartford, Connecticut at, the, at a tournament that was called the Greater Hartford Open uh, at the time. And he never, he, he told me a very moving story of uh, leading the Canadian Open and normally the, the winner of the Canadian Open would receive an invite to play in the Masters. And he's leading the tournament. He came in and there was a, a sign posted the next day that said that, the, that this year the, le the winner of the Canadian Open would not be invited to the Masters. And it was stories like that where, where there's profound injury uh, done for no reason other than something that he had no control over. He was yeah. the color of his skin. And he also told me a story about the first tournament that he was playing in and doing, playing very well, leading, and a man called his hotel room and said, if you play golf tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. Man. Imagine, and, and he said, golf. well, do whatever you're going to do. <laughs> he said, I'm going to be out. I think he said his tee time was 9.20 or something. He said, <laughs> do whatever you're going to do, but I'm teeing off at 9.20. And, you know, it was interesting because I asked him in that interview, I said, did were you aware of the fact of the significance of what you were doing that 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 this was more than than hitting a golf ball this was about trailblazing and he said no he said i just loved the game and you know talk about following your passion yeah big time so that one left a mark i definitely have to root that one out and yeah. find it definitely i've been kind of freaking out a small bit leading up to this little chat uh, so I'm hoping I'm asking the right questions. You're doing fine. <laughs> um, but of all the legends of the game you've had chats with, mm -hmm. and we're having pints, so it's a bit easier, but who were you most excited or nervous about beforehand? Um, most recently, I would say, to that scale, it would be Arnold Palmer, because um, shortly before Mr. Palmer passed, he, he slipped on a, on a rug. Uh, he called it a throw rug. In his, in, his, in his house in Orlando. And the rug, the rug slid out from his feet and he, and he crashed down on his, on his shoulder. And he was hurt very badly. And in, it, he, was, he never really came back from that to, to his full physical and mental form that he had prior. But uh, we, I, we had reached out and for whatever reason he granted us to interview him. 
And knowing the, the significance of it, uh, I hired a camera crew as well. So it was a setup like we have here with the microphones and so forth, but we also had a camera set up. And I remember the man who was in charge of the cameras saying to me, Maddie, do you want two cameras? You know, one on, one on me asking questions and one on Mr. Palmer. And I said, no, I'd like one camera. And I want it trained solely on Mr. Palmer. And so I, I wrote down a list of his accolades, his, his, you know, career accomplishments, even though it's still just the tip of the iceberg. And I had it on a piece of paper. And so I did the intro just like you did to, to this podcast today for, for Arnold Palmer. And I looked down nervously at my sheet and I read through that he's a 62-time winner on the, on the PGA Tour. He's a seven-time major champion that Mr. Palmer had the foresight and the vision to come to the Open in the early 1960s and thus opened it up to the rest of the world and, and in large measure made the Open as we know it today, the major championship as we know it today. The concept of a Grand Slam was born by him. Uh, in the in 1960 when he had won the, the Masters and he had won the U.S. Open and that's why he was chasing the Open here. So we elevated it definitively to that status as well. And so I was going, and I'm just telling you again, just a tip of the iceberg about what this man's impact was in the game of golf. And when I saw the broadcast of this interview later, what I didn't realize was that this man, deep into his 80s, hearing me recount his life, he looked up in this way, and, and again, I was looking down because I was nervous to shake in a shaking pad, and I didn't know it till I saw it, that he looked up, and you could see his eyes sparkle in this way that only Arnold Palmer could, and he was listening to his own life recounted. And, and he, he there, there are the Irish are good at it and, and he was particularly good at it they smile with their eyes and he did and that was to me was so cool because it was a moment with Arnold Palmer that through my nerves I didn't even realize happened until retrospect and and so that that was really cool that was really fun that's special that's special moments right there so we get more around let's say golf culture and getting into golf for a minute and then we have a quick fire Q&A. Mm -hmm. So Matt hasn't had these questions beforehand, so it is true, quick fire. He hasn't a clue what's coming. Well, so you may be quick. <laughs> we'll see how quick I am on the other side of it. it. Might be quick running out the door. I see myself as, as quite fortunate to have gotten into Le Hinch as a member and kind of take for granted that is, you know, it's one of the top courses in the world. But they were an inclusive of the local community, even as far as Kilfenora. And I get the, I get the impression that getting into golf in America isn't as easy as that or at least it's a bit different and it's golf is seen more like an up like the upper echelons of society like with those private clubs country club culture so is that like a correct way to view it? is that the story or uh, yeah i would say that's an accurate depiction that that golf in america is viewed as as more aspirational uh, i but i happen to like the template here in ireland and scotland more where and part of that is because of development costs that when when you have when you have a strip of land that's lynx land and it's perfectly suited and has been for decades or centuries towards its calling uh, that you don't have massive uh, investment in infrastructure so you don't have massive debt structure so it's not as expensive to run or be in and you have people from all over the world that want to come out and play it and you find that balance so Yes, uh, I would I would say you're correct in your in, in your assessment that that golf in in America tends to be based more in terms of aspirational, 
which I don't necessarily think is bad that that people as they've worked through their their life stations you know feel like they want to reward themselves with with having achieved something that's part of a free market society but but I would love to see golf continue to evolve and so that it is more inclusive more like like we would see here in my experience I've only been to the states a couple of times but I once or two cases I went to where was it? Almeida okay and their companies like Link Soul, so I'm waiting on that sponsorship, John. But I'd say they're making mass, they're, they're massively achieving in terms of making golf more inclusive and part mm-hmm. of their community in their part of the world in California. So, like like you said here, like like it is here in Ireland, Scotland, England, not so much really. Um, in order to grow the game, do you think companies like that does it have to come from companies or from the tour? But like, is that concept? We'll say, is that concept? Are they going on the right track about it? Yes. I mean, the, the, the quick answer is yes, because any track that anyone is on is the right track to go about it if it's having positive net results. In, in my mind, though, I think the thing that's, that's hurt the game of golf in terms of reaching new demographics, inclusivity, and, 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 and hopefully planting a seed for those that will carry on with the game for a lifetime is the demise of caddy programs. Uh, I would love to see caddy programs embraced and expanded instead of continuing to diminish, in some cases disappear. I understand why it's happening because, again, I came from that side of the game. Uh, It's happening because of the buggies. It's happening because of the the carts. It's happening because of the revenue that's generated there. But I'd like to see someone kind of find a middle road where somehow you can protect a, a revenue source from a club standpoint because they need the revenue. But at the same time, bring these kids into the game that are from the community, give them an opportunity to make some real money. And as a result, they're exposed to the game. They're exposed to people that are that are business leaders, uh, community leaders that they may otherwise not have met at that point in their lives. And they're positively impact for the rest of their lives. And we've seen so many examples of that throughout the course of history from uh, Ben Hogan started as a caddy, uh, who we were just talking about earlier, Charlie Sifford. The reason he was introduced to the game is as a caddy. And so time and again, if you look through the greats of the game, you'll see how they started and when they started was by carrying somebody else's golf bag. And that's a piece of the game's lineage that just doesn't exist anymore the way it used to. I would love to see something done about that. Yeah, Like, I'm not a pro, but I invested into golf culture and loving golf because I came through the caddy program and see in, in him so yeah i'm a big fan well i'm becoming a bigger fan we'll say of this it's kind of a new trend i think last maybe four or five years of golfing minimalism mm. you might say it's like half a set a sunday bag sure sunset rounds i go with my son christopher who's eight mm. so what's your opinion of golfing minim- minimalism uh, i think for me it's it's just finding finding where your soul is set free to fly i mean it comes in different forms i don't i don't take away obviously with 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 what i do about equipment and all the rest i don't take away from people that feel like they've they've discovered their salvation with a new set of clubs and i actually think that for adults the fact that you can open up a a new box and you can pull these clubs out of there and it's it's like a, it's like a kid at christmas morning i think that's fabulous and and it's no different with a wedge it's no different than a driver it's no different with a putter and because of what i do at golf channel where i one of my responsibilities is educating people about new golf equipment technology uh, even with a wedge i mean most people don't realize that if you want to get full effective use of your wedge you should be changing wedges every six months to a year that's that's just fact and few people know it so i get when we were 
with all due respect, I get the minimalism in terms of how many clubs you carry in a Sunday bag, but I won't take away from anybody that, that's excited about the new clubs that they get, and I wish them the best with that. And, and I hope that w- however they define their happiness in golf, I hope they find it. And it, it, it comes in different varieties, as I explained to you already. And like For some people, it is going out and playing that sunset round or maybe a sunrise round or what have you. Your case, maybe it's playing with your boy and introducing him to the game of golf. But wherever you find it, I hope that you do, because I think it varies by people. I don't think it's universal. No, definitely. We'll keep it to the island of Ireland for this one. You have seven days. What golf trip do you put together? This week? In general, hypothetically. Oh, gosh. We'll keep it to Ireland instead of, like, the whole world. You have seven days. What golf trip? So it's not like the top courses in Ireland. You have a golf trip. You have seven days. Where'd you go? Well, I'm I'm a member at Lahinch, Belly Bunyan, and Tralee, so that's three days. That's six days <laughs> of your and seven. then a hangover day. Yeah, <laughs> and then you know, whenever I do these trips, I always I always build in a day that we call a a, a cultural day, and the friends that go with me on these trips laugh about it. Because a cultural day usually is taking in the full measure of whatever city we're in. And so when you mentioned that I was here uh, just a couple of weeks back, uh, we, we domiciled in, in Killarney for five days, and we had the time of our lives there. So, again, to me, golf is not only a physical exercise of, of cause and reaction, of, of swinging and, and striking and in philosophy it's it's about everything else that surrounds it it's all part of the gumbo okay quick fire Q&A so I, I thought we were doing the quick fire Q&A already. no this is it now this is it now quick fire bang bang so take us up okay what would your walk on song be my walk on song ain't as good as I once was but as good once as I ever was I'd say Toby Keith I have to look that one up Spotify hooked me up Jim or pizza which, what you Jim, Jim or pizza? Which one? Mm. I'm getting, I'm, the, the audience here is like <laughs> guiding me through. I was like, say pizza, pizza say pizza. Pizza, pizza. All right, pizza, fine. You can have Domino's on that uh, cultural day. Domino's. <laughs> do you even have Domino's? Yeah, we do. Do you? Yeah. Oh. I use it extensively. Oh, yeah. They, they, they email me like every Sunday. Oh, do they really? Yeah, because Sunday is a cultural day for me. <laughs> Hat, visor, or bucket? That's a tough question. Do I get an option C? C is bucket. No, neither. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I wear, I actually, there's a company out of Boston called Boston Scally Cap. And so I wear a flat cap and I, I have skin cancer of my Irish skin. So in living in Florida, so I have to, and I do. And it's funny because when, when I'm on, when I'm on golf channel, I, I wear it all the time. And so I'll have, if, if the people have, have any heritage in the British Isles or Ireland, they love the caps. If they don't, they expect me to have a spinner on the top of it or something, <laughs> and they don't know what the hell it is. So just before this trip, I, I, similar to your Sunday bag uh, discussion, I, because, because I have to go from here to the Scottish Open and Scottish Open to the Open, I had to lower the weight of my golf bag. So I said, what clubs would you take out? And I, I polled out to my social media. Someone wrote back and said, how about taking out the silly hats? And I said, no, the hats stay. <laughs> so anyway, that, that's, that's where I got it. Oh, definitely. So, yeah, um, I'll put the link in description to, to the hats. You don't have to. Um, Happy Gilmore or Tin Cup? Tin Cup. 
Guinness or Heineken? Guinness. Le Hinch or Port Marnock? Le Hinch. Walk or cart? Walk. Win the Masters or win the Open? The Open. Would you rather drive it like Dustin or drive it like Zach Johnson? Zach. Instagram or Twitter? Well, Twitter for me right now, though I'm getting more into the Instagram. Do it for the gram, baby. Do it for the gram. Last one, play or practice? Practice for me, actually. That's all I generally ever had time for. It was usually with a wedge. No, super stuff. It's been great having you on the show. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for your time and looking forward to listening to more of your podcasts. Likewise. Fairies for life. And to seeing you on the Fairies of Little Hinge in the future, hopefully sooner rather than later. Thank you, Patty. Good job. Good luck with everything you're doing. Thanks a lot. Thanks, folks, for getting involved. Thank you all for listening. Hit the show a follow, rate, and review it if that's your style. Most of all, please share the show with your family and friends. Thanks for pressing play. Until we tee it up again soon, I'm Patty.